0: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Updates on the sabotage at Natanz. Whether it was cyber or kinetic, Iran has vowed to take its revenge against Israel. Name-wreck vulnerabilities affect DNS implementations. Tax season scammers are fishing for credentials. If you like the investment opportunities those Nigerian princes used to offer, you're going to love their loaded ATM cards. Ben Yellen looks at data protection and interoperability. Our guest is Jules Martin from Mimecast on the importance of security integration. And in the Netherlands, ransomware is inducing a shortage of cheese From the CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. The BBC points out that the cause of the explosion at the Natanz power distribution system remains unclear. Natanz has been the target of both cyber espionage, with Stuxnet, and physical sabotage, the Homeland Tigers bombing. Most coverage, like that in Slate, is treating the incident as a probable Israeli cyber attack and is citing Israeli media reports in support of that conclusion – the Guardian notes that the incident displays the vulnerability to sabotage of industrial systems like those in the centrifuge facility at Natanz. Iran says it intends to retaliate where, when, and how it chooses. WION quotes a spokesman from the Iranian Foreign Ministry as saying, "...Iran's answer will be to take revenge against the Zionist regime at the right time and place." End quote. Press TV, Iran's English-language news service, explains Tehran's policy more colorfully, "...Israel awaits Iran's response, terrifying days ahead for Zionist entity." The U.S. administration said that it had, of course, seen reports of the Natanz incident, that the U.S. was not involved in any manner, had nothing to add to public speculation, and that it expected this week's nuclear talks involving Iran— to proceed as planned. Researchers at Forescout and JSOF today reported their discovery of nine vulnerabilities, collectively Namerec, in DNS implementations found in four widely used TCPIP stacks. The researchers particularly note NAMREC's effect on FreeBSD and Siemens NucleusNet. The researchers offer an explanation of their choice of name for the family of vulnerabilities, rec, they write, refers to how the parsing of domain names can break REC, DNS implementations in TCP IP stacks, leading to denial of service or remote code execution. In total, the four TCP IP stacks affected are FreeBSD, IPNet, NetX, and NucleusNet. The range of attacks possible through exploitation of NameRec vulnerabilities range from garden-variety information theft Through sabotage of building control and industrial process control systems. Researchers say that they want to provide advice on fixing the issues they discovered. Patching, of course, is the first step. FreeBSD, NucleusNet, and NetX have all recently been patched, and vendors using the software should be providing updates to their customers. If an organization is patching FreeBSD servers or network appliances, It should identify the operating system it's running on them, get the versions of the installed packages, and update the vulnerable systems. But patching isn't always easy, and in some cases, especially with respect to IoT devices, may not even be realistically possible. Many of those devices aren't centrally managed and are difficult to access. There may also be problems taking them down temporarily for patching, and some of the firmware may run unsupported versions of their real-time operating systems. Should patching not be possible, Forescout and JSOF recommend the following mitigation steps. Discover and inventory devices running the vulnerable stacks, enforce segmentation controls and proper network hygiene to mitigate the risk from vulnerable devices, Monitor progressive patches released by affected device vendors and devise a remediation plan for your vulnerable asset inventory balancing business risk and business continuity requirements. Configure devices to rely on internal DNS servers as much as possible and closely monitor external DNS traffic since exploitation requires a malicious DNS server to reply with malicious packets. And finally, monitor all network traffic for malicious packets that try to exploit known vulnerabilities or possible zero days affecting DNS, MDNS, and DHCP clients. Anomalous and malformed traffic should be blocked, or at least alert its presence to network operators. ForScout and JSOFT's executive summary concludes with a glum warning about DNS as a whole, quote, This research is further proof that DNS protocol complexity leads to several vulnerable implementations, and that the community should act to fix a problem that we believe is more widespread of what we currently know. End quote. Armor warns of a tax season W-2 scam using Typeform for credential harvesting. It begins with a phishing email impersonating an automated file-sharing communication from OneDrive. It looks like a message from a familiar workflow, and it includes, as such phishing does... The usual dressings of business communications, like reference numbers, plausible subject lines, home loan is one representative subject, and data that seems to fall in the ballpark. The email, and it's typically come from a hotmail address, so recipients beware, seeks to induce the sense of hurry and emergency that phishing normally does. One wrinkle that's unpleasant for the unwary is the use of what Armor Blocks describes as security themes— such as helpful, albeit anodyne, notes as a link that says, Learn about messages protected by Office 365. And in this case, the link actually takes you to a real Microsoft-hosted page that contains security information. And finally, the page where you're asked to enter your credentials is hosted on Typeform, a familiar and legitimate service that unfortunately also lowers the bar for cybercriminals to launch successful phishing attacks. In fairness, it's not just Typeform that's being misused in this way. Armorblock says, quote, We have also observed attacks exploiting Google Firebase, Box, Webflow, and Google Forms in a similar manner. End quote. So be cautious during tax season, which in the U.S. this year has an extra month to run. Security firm Avanon notes, with an air of weariness, that the old Nigerian prince scam is still with us and still reeling in plenty of fresh fish. It's not, in the narrowest sense, a Nigerian prince scam, since classically that scam represents itself as an investment opportunity. This one still has a Nigerian connection, but it involves a missing ATM card that, hey, hey, just happens to have a million bucks or so on it. Come on, you want to say, and you're right. But why do these scams continue to circulate? because someone, somewhere, bites on them. And finally, here's a consequence of ransomware that we may not specifically have foreseen. Cheese shortages. Bleeping Computer reports that Bakker Logistic, a Netherlands logistics company that provides air-conditioned storage and transportation services, has sustained a ransomware attack that's disrupted its operations enough to induce a shortage of cheese in Dutch supermarkets, The logistics firm was unable to process orders from customers, and it was unable to sort through the inventory held in its warehouse to make deliveries. These processes are all highly automated and therefore are, in principle, susceptible to disruption by cyberattack. So has cheese replaced toilet paper as a hard-to-get commodity? Cue the gastrointestinal jokes and lame puns about Gouda, if you must but the incident is a warning shot across the food distribution systems generally considered.
1: Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program
0: Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. When selecting the tools to best defend your networks, many advocate a strategy of diversity, of choosing the so-called best-in-breed solution for any given security task. With that, however, can come complexity, as you find yourself managing multiple platforms and alerting systems from different vendors. Jules Martin is Vice President of Ecosystems and Alliances at Mimecast, and he advocates a strategy of
2: security integration using open APIs. If you look at malware as a service and the increase in that particular type of model, Then you look at the campaign days before we were seeing campaigns run over a number of months sometimes six months 12 12 months and then the proliferation of ransomware and sender impersonation as those types of attack vectors have grown we've then seen an increase in the attack volumes really responding to either geopolitical sort of shifts in the uh, global landscape or things like the pandemic as well so the actual speed and delivery of these types of attacks is the first problem we're all facing now.
0: And has there been
2: a, 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 um, a sufficient response to that? Or are the defenders able to keep up? I think it's a challenge for all the defenders because if you look at the traditional approach to IT security, you've, you've got a mixture, in some cases, of still on-premise and in flexibility and cost associated with running that. You've then got multiple consoles to manage. And what we've found in... This mobile workforce we've all been forced to adopt is that people are now buying more and more equipment. And that means there's more to manage. And the efficacy levels drop, meaning people miss threats. Then, if you combine that with the human error from literally Zoom fatigue and the, the constant meetings rubbing on teams and what have you, people do miss threats both at the management layer and at the user layer. Then, if you then add into all of that, there's a skill shortage. It depends who you speak to. There's about 3 million open heads, I believe, uh, people looking for skills, cybersecurity experts as well. So there's a whole number of things all coming together at the same time.
0: So you advocate uh, integrating some of your security tools, taking advantage of, of APIs. Can you describe for us how does something
2: like that play out? Right. So if you look at the traditional challenge, as a business, uh, we've made our name and established leadership position in the market around email. And years ago, we have been protecting that email environment. Traditionally, it was on-premise. Now it's very much cloud-based. But if you look at the IT operations that run that messaging platform, they're looking after messaging, the performance such the archiving, the backup, the continuity, so on and so forth. That's the IT operations role. And here at Mindcast, we actually have that team in the UK. But our SOC, who manages the security operations, so the prevention, the detection, the response and remediation, et cetera, they're based in the UK, here in the US, and down in Australia as well. So what we're trying to do is bridge that gap between the legacy security and, the, should I should say, the legacy IT operations and the new SOC that's been formed over the past few years. So it's bringing those two together. It isn't just a messaging issue. This is a business issue. We need to get these teams talking together.
0: That's Jules Martin from Mimecast. joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security, but also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Ben, welcome back.
1: Good to be with you, Dave. Uh,
0: Interesting uh, publication from the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, written by Bennett Ciphers and Corey Doctorow, and it's titled Privacy Without Monopoly, Data Protection and Interoperability. This is right up your alley, Ben. What do you make of this?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting paper, um, and the entire thing is available for free on their website, EFF.org, and I recommend uh, reading it in its entirety. At a very high level, you have this problem of both corporate cons- uh, concentration, which uh, you know we've talked about in the antitrust uh, context, where a few companies dominate the entire sphere of the Internet, stifle competition uh, in ways that are harmful to the consumers, And you have this issue of lack of user privacy. And in the view of EFF, these uh, two problems are interconnected. When you have a few companies uh, that have such dominant control over certain spheres of the internet, they have less incentive to protect the privacy uh, of their users. So what EFF is proposing is an entirely new framework to uh, both encourage competition, revitalize competition uh, in this online space give users more agency over their own data, and increase what we call interoperability. So, you know, when I send somebody a a message from my iPhone and they have an Android device, maybe not all of the features on my iPhone are going to be compatible to what that user sees on the Android device. Hmm. Uh, And so that's, you know, a relatively minor interoperability concern. Uh But if you scale that up, you can see how that would be a, a big issue where certain platforms are not compatible with uh other platforms so e f f uh has turned uh this notion into some policy ideas um the first is to have competitive compatibility helpfully uh shortened to comcom which I think is hilarious. <laughs> which is a uh, proposal to encourage startups uh, and other tech companies to interoperate, and I'm quoting here, with incumbent services without their uh, permission. So Mm. this would be a way of shutting down the tools that larger companies use to try and stifle competition by making their service the only thing that's compatible with some other service. You you have to have Mm. a Google device in order to use this particular application. Mm Mm-hmm. The second proposal would give companies, uh, or would require companies rather, to provide a baseline of interoperable access to their services. Uh, so, you know, there'd be some sort of perhaps federal standard uh, so, you know, that you don't have that uh, interoperability problem. Uh, and this is both an issue ter- uh, in terms of data portability, so that you could access data no matter where that data is transferred and no matter which companies hold it. Uh, And what they call back-end interoperability, which would uh, require large companies, so the Facebooks uh, and Googles of the world, to, quote, maintain interfaces that allow their users to interact fluidly with users on other services. Mm. So this is a way to, you know, make the the Internet uh, a little more user-friendly. It would... Encourage companies or require companies not to use anti-competitive practices that shut out their competitors, uh, and make it so that you're required to use their services if you want the features, uh, you know, from particular applications. And it would do so in a way that would augment uh, user privacy protection. So it's a really interesting mm-hmm. proposal. Um, it's not without its concerns, and one of the sections of uh, the paper they go into some of the potential. Uh, privacy concerns with their own proposal, uh, but it's certainly worthy of consideration.
0: Yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, back in the the day. Uh, those of us who are old enough to remember the breakup of the big telephone systems, you know, into the the baby bells, and one of the issues there was that. You know allowing long distance carriers access to those local phone lines, you know that they they had to be able to in order to get that call to you, they had to make use of someone else's infrastructure, and they required that those local phone companies do that. Uh, it seems to me like there might be some parallels here,
1: yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, we've done we've done things in all different types of realms to augment interoperability. We see this a lot in uh, the emergency management field, which I'm in. Uh, in in some of my consulting work, where you have radio systems that were not compatible, um, that were using different channels. You know, maybe the uh, police radio system couldn't communicate with the fire department system. Uh, And that creates major problems for the public uh, and the users because it makes these systems inaccessible and it it just makes them more difficult to use. Um, So, you know, interoperability is so important. Having some standardized system... Uh, that companies are required to adhere to really makes the user experience uh, much more fulfilling,
0: yeah no, it's fascinating and, and it's hard to imagine, you know, some of these walled gardens like Facebook, you know, being okay with something like this. So um, I, I guess that's where the regulation part comes in, right that they wouldn't have a choice and
1: they wouldn't have a choice. I mean, that's you kind of shoot for the moon when you come up with a policy paper. Um, mm-hmm. would the current United States Congress pass something like this? Probably not. Uh, But ideas have to start somewhere, and this is sort of the EFSFs, what their dream policy would be to encourage interoperability and improve competitive practices in the industry. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, some legislator is going to take this in, in its entirety and turn it into a federal statute, but this is just an idea of how it could be done in the future.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, it's interesting stuff. Uh, It's titled "Privacy Without Monopoly: Data Protection and Interoperability." Again, written by Bennett Ciphers and Corey Doctorow, over on the EFF website. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the CyberWire. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.